And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Hey guys, it's Nate. I know you're used to hearing Damone talk here. I am too. Um, we're all we're a little talked out this week. Um, hopefully, you can go back and listen to our Gift of Gab tribute episode that we dropped over the weekend. Um, we want to wish the best to Gift of Gab's friends, family, uh, fan community. Um, just a, just a big loss for hip hop and um, for Bay Area hip hop and underground hip hop and fans of lyrical hip-hop and we we wish you know eternal rest to his presence and spirit and that's you know that we said all we had to kind of say on that subject up top this is nate leblanc i'm the producer and co-host of dad bod rap pod i'm sitting in for my colleagues david ma and damone carter this week we're gonna do kind of a simpsons clip show um we're gonna run some interviews that we've had banked for a little while and then next week we'll kind of get back to regularly scheduled programming, uh, more of the banter you've come to know and love. Make sure to follow us at DadBodRapPod on Instagram, Twitter. Um, we keep threatening to get back on Facebook. Um, we have a page over there if you like that. That's great. There is a DadBodRapPod subreddit. If you would join that, that would be pretty cool. Um, feel free to reach out to us. We're easily accessible. DadBodRapPod at Gmail. Always accepting beats to use in the show today's beats were submitted by stimulator jones and they're pretty cool in my opinion so our first interview this week is with jeff weiss jeff is the best hip-hop writer in the world he is a crusading force for social justice he helped publish uh, this huge essay by Donald Morrison that may or may not, for legal purposes only, solve the murder of Mac Dre. Um, he tells a great story here about helping get um, the gifted rapper Draco the Ruler out of prison. Um, you know, we just sit around and talk about rap. Jeff is out there living. Um, he also runs Passion of the Weiss, which is the last blog standing in the hip-hop space, publishing Great articles, um, many by us, many by friends of ours. Um, we very much consider ourselves and the show uh, a part of the Passion of the Wise universe, and we, we need that to keep existing. So they've got a Patreon if you want to support great journalism and important cultural criticism, music talk, um, and just the whole kind of universe of what Jeff does. Please look for the Patreon on passionofweiss.com. They're also going to launch a... GoFundMe or Kickstarter or some kind of crowd campaign for The Land Magazine, Issue 3. Really important work that's being done there that Jeff will describe more in this segment. So let's go ahead and get into it. This is our interview with journalist, and I know he hates this term, but it's quite apt in this case. Friend of the program, Jeff Weiss, DadBot RapPod.
Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we have interviews with people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have writer, activist. Uh, he committed an assault on Post Malone. He's a hero <laughs> to millions or at least thousands. Jeff Weiss, how's it going, man? Good. I'm finally off bail for the Post Malone thing, so I can <laughs> <laughs> off probation. I mean, yeah, I'm off probation, so I can say whatever I want now. You know, I did have to take anger management classes, but um, it was probably it, it, productive for my life. You know, his, his productivity dropped off after that. That's all I'm saying. So <laughs> let's get Jeff a mug. Yeah, um, our Frost Nixon moment where I can go toe to toe with the Titan that is Post. <laughs> Uh, we, we appreciate you, Matt. For, for those who are uninitiated, can you tell us what Passion of the Weiss is? A terrible idea that I started 15 years ago. <laughs> Here we are. Um, no, it is a uh, collective of like-minded individuals um, who kind of share kind of maybe the antiquated sensibility that uh, music journalism <laughs> is uh, important. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of people I should say that think music journalism is important, but I think it's just a bunch of people that are trying to do good work that's necessarily... Um, the stuff that maybe doesn't get covered necessarily. I hate using words like mainstream press because I feel like everything is kind of just a destroyed version of what it used to be. But this, I, you know, I was, I was talking about it actually just right before, and it was just kind of, it's sort of a place where you can write wild, where you can do like long, in-depth dives on stuff that maybe otherwise, you know, an editor would be like, well, this isn't cool right now, or you know, this artist is too small to get coverage right now, and it's sort of, you know, just. Uh, and I keep it kind of keep the spirit of like, you know, I think hip hop is sort of uh, rooted in the wild style. I don't think it's an original idea, but I try to keep the journalism outlet and all of us kind of rooted in the wild style, like be creative, be funny, you know, go deep, you know, none of the, none, none of the like, uh, the, it's like the opposite of emoji culture. <laughs> like, don't give me a fire emoji. Tell me why it's a fire emoji. <laughs> right, right. Um, Jeff, you know, sort of a, an extension of Passion of the Weiss is certainly the um, POW, the record label. Um, I just want to, you know, g give you a chance to let people know, you know, how you got into that, sort of what, what the purpose is besides putting out music that moves you. And, um, you know, what, what the experience has been like to be, you know, a journalist slash writer slash label chief. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's very similar to Suge Knight. I'm holding people up. <laughs> You know, it's a lot like Birdman, where I'm making rappers run on tracks and, you know, freestyle <laughs> track, a lot of that. Now, uh, it, um, it basically started about uh, five or six years ago uh, with um, basically with, actually with Chester Watson, who was trying mm. to, you know, I, I, I think I discovered him and wrote about him on the site. He was 16 years old and it was the song Phantom that kind of now has like millions of streams on Spotify, millions of plays on YouTube. I mean, it's probably still one of his biggest songs. Uh, and I, I remember I was just like super high and I was like, is this amazing? And uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess millions of like a bunch of people agreed, you know, and but at the time he had like maybe 2000 views. And a few years later, you know, he was maybe 18 years old. and He was like trying to find a label to put out his music. And I was like, well, let me help you. And um, yeah, he got turned down by like several, you know, good labels that I have a lot of admiration for. And then I just realized that so many artists that you know we've written about first whether it was you know Danny Brown or Kendrick Lamar or whomever open Mike Eagle obviously we were like the first to really champion him and now Mike is you know a very celebrated artist but I remember when you know Mike what it wasn't like that you had to kind of struggle and I, I noticed that there were a lot of artists like that that definitely 
you know, took, it, it takes time for people to really understand, especially the original artists. And I wanted it to kind of be a home for kind of like eccentric left field artists that kind of um, maybe don't make sense to people at first, but like, I know are doing really original art. And, you know, I always think about it. Like, I feel like I'm the biggest fan of every one of these artists like that they have. And I think it's really important for that. And I just like, you know, love classic rap labels. I think most of the, our favorite music, if you really think about it, came out on an independent rap label. And that, that goes from whether it's, you know, like the early stuff that they were doing with like a Sugar Hill or Def Jam or whatever to a Cash Money or a No Limit or a Ruthless or, you know, a Def Jux, a Fondalum, a Stone Throw, Rhymesters. All this stuff was independent, you know, whether it's like super street stuff. I mean, quality control, you know, uh, the Atlanta label. I mean, that they obviously have a major label deal now, but that started out independent. I think all of the great music does. And because I think now, especially in the time of like algorithms, where everyone is like, oh, well, if it's not streaming this X numbers, I'm not interested in it. Like we've gotten so far away from the fact that like you can just hear something and be like, or see an artist, I can watch a video and be like, that guy has it or that woman has it or whoever, you know? And um, yeah, I'm trying to kind of put, I, I'm trying to kind of build it into something that can kind of be, I, I'd love it to be like a, a Stone's Throw or, you know, a Rhyme Sayers or one of the, you know, the classic labels that like Jeff, Jeff Jux was obviously a huge part of my life when I was in college. And I always had a lot of admiration for it. And Backwoods, there's a bunch of, there's, there's several other good labels right now. Backwoods does incredible stuff. Um, Mellow does a bunch of great stuff, but um, yeah, trying to kind of build it to be something that we're, you know, we're, it's like, one of my friends, actually Barry Schwartz, he probably, Disco Vietnam, he probably had him on. He once described Stone's throws. He's like, when you go in there and like, it's like, he described it as like passing an, like Stone's throw was like passing an ethnic restaurant um, where you knew everyone in there was that, of that particular ethnicity. So you knew it must right. be good. And <laughs> right. I want it, I want POW to be one of those things where like, even if like, the kind of like how the label, like the website is, like the slogan is, even when I was wrong, I got my point across. Like, <laughs> like if you, even if like, because I guarantee, like, I know that like when people are listening to artists on the label, like sometimes it's going to be like, this shit is not for me. But I want every release, like someone would be able to be like, all right, this isn't for me necessarily, but I can tell that this is an original, interesting artist that I should maybe pay attention to. And maybe mm. at some point I'll get, I'll, I'll it'll click for me or if not. But I, yeah, I try to really only work with people that are kind of, um in, in some level doing something like I, I would never like I mean even at this point now I mean there's been artists that like I won't even say but I mean whatever fuck it I'll say it I remember Max Bell I mean I don't like Max Bell hit me up I want, I want to say four years ago right the label was new and he just said we did a post on Jack Harlow or something right but no one knew who Jack Harlow was right mm -hmm. and you know and like Jack Harlow is like fine if he's like an underground rapper that like has a blog post when no one knows because he's like objectively good at rapping he's just maybe not a good artist per se Mm. And I remember Max being like, oh, you should definitely try to sign Jack Harlow. And I was like, <laughs> and it was like devil on your shoulder. We were like, okay, like charismatic <laughs> white kid. This will make you a lot of money. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's one yeah. of those like, time where it's like, if you offered him, I don't know, like $5,000 or something, which is a ton of money for an independent label. But like, even if you had, let's say you had one Jack Harlow album in your back catalog. Oh, like, you'd be killing. You'd be, you'd be rich. Right. But I just was like nah I, I don't think i can put out a jack harlow album <laughs> you know what i mean and it's and so it's you know and trying to make it artist friendly and everything and you know it's it's art i mean like the problem with running a label is like you know you you realize why like people do fucked up deals because it's like the way to make money in the music industry is really just fucking over people and being like a stereotypical ruthless capitalist but i try to kind of avoid that i i mm. came into it with this will be an art project and um 
I'm trying to, I try to keep that mentality where it, where it, you know, it doesn't go, it doesn't steer far from that. And yeah, and we've, we've, we just, you know, we've had a bunch of artists, you know, we're putting out a record from Fatboy Sharif, who's an amazing artist yeah, yeah. On, uh, from Jersey. Yeah, that, that's like a perfect example of someone, you know, it's like I saw Will Shub like send me the video and I was like, holy shit, this is one of the craziest things I've ever seen was the video, <laughs> for, uh, not for Stigmata, but for Smithsonian. And I just, you know, he's in a fright wig and like, you know, he's got the, the clown makeup on, he's got a butcher yeah. knife and, you know, the, the uh, Roper, the producers in, in a Reagan mask. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and that's what I'm always drawn to. And, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff like, and whether it's, you know, or someone like, you know, Gabe Nandez, who's like, I don't know if you guys yeah. had on Gabe, but um, Not, we haven't had him on yet, but we're big fans of especially the new EP and kind yeah. of yeah. like a uh, trilingual videos that preceded yeah. it. Just really, we're really strong. Gabe record uh, at the end of July and you know it, it's dope and he's just like he's a perfect example of like who I'd want to work with is somebody who's like you know the child of diplomats who grew up in you know Tanzania and Jerusalem and Haiti and Canada and New York City and kind of obviously kind of has a style that you know has some nostalgia from the 90s and the early 2000s but at the same time like is kind of bringing it forward into a different way and you know mm-hmm. try and you know we just had Vince Ash actually which was like kind of our bit I guess it'll probably end up being you know, for the time, it could end up being one of the biggest successes we had. He just signed uh, Paul Rosenberg's, uh, like, Goliath Records imprint under Interscope, and mm. we put out his first two records, and that was kind of cool to kind of be able to, that meant a lot to be able to kind of, you know, help discover somebody, get them, you know, and get them to the next level where, like, they can get picked up by a major label and kind of get the big budget treatment that, you know, sadly, uh, I'm not capable of providing at this yeah. point, I'm sure um appreciate that kind of breakdown we uh i want to take it back to the site though because i've been dying to talk to you about this donald morrison article um <laughs> you, you you guys solved mac dre's murder and uh while in music writer twitter that, that was a big deal yeah, yeah. uh let's talk I mean, about it for imagine. normal people like uh tell us how this came about it's an incredible piece of investigative journalism i probably shouldn't use that term legally of whatever i just said but yeah. like, tell yeah. us how this came about please yeah um it's, it's actually really funny so i donnie was just some kid that uh was like favoring my tweets and i saw they worked for the i think it was like, the oregon state newspaper and he just sent me like an email out of the blue and he's like, I want to try to solve Mac Dre's murder. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Uh, <laughs> you've never written for the site. You don't have any really big clips, but like, sure. I mean, if you want to try to solve Mac Dre's murder, <laughs> 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 like, okay. And then um, like, he hits me up. I want to say like five months later, he's like, do you have like thousands of dollars to do like, so I can get like request these court documents. And like, I'm like, Look, man, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know who you think you're writing for. Is <laughs> like, I'm like thousands of dollars. Like, no, like, no. I, I'm like, also like, there's a lot of people that'll just hit you up and be like, hey, I'm gonna do this story, and then like they just like disappear into thin oh, air, sure. and then mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, okay, well that was, you know, and that's fine. Like, no shade. Like, I mean, every if if you haven't ghosted on a deadline as a writer, I don't believe you're a writer. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and then he turned in this, like, first draft, I want to say, like, seven or eight months ago, and I was like, uh, this is pretty extraordinary, like, who the fuck is this kid? And, like, obviously, like, we needed to, you know, edit it, work on structure, you know, get it legally vetted, you know, you need to call this person 55 more times, and, like, but, yeah, he, um, you know, for legal purposes, I'm not allowed to say that he solved the murder, but, um, I don't know, like, he came as close as anyone's ever come to it, I mean, it was a pretty convincing thing that I you know uh, that I've read and everyone else did and yeah he basically 
he did a lot of, I guess, I mean, when you ask about what like POW is, it's sort of like, I mean, that's kind of the dream scenario, mm. right? It's like, wow, it can be a home. Um, it can be a home for somebody who just like wanted to be a part of the, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. I don't know where to go. I don't have any clips, like, you know, like submitting it. And, um, you know, it ends up, it's the best case scenario. You end up solving one of like the great unsolved mysteries in, in, yeah. in rap. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, I, I think it's like one of those things why independent journalism is so important. And in, every, independent everything, honestly, is like as, as corny as it is, because like, I don't know, like my experiences are the higher that I go, like the worse it generally gets. Mm. Um, and like usually, you know, because it's not even anyone's fault necessarily, but like you get to a certain level and like agency gets removed. And like it's, mm. I'll never forget, like I was at one point, I was talking about like Boosie, but like I was like basically trying to shop, I mean, for five years you know people like it's so funny when every day when everyone's like on someone just now on twitter i think it was one of our former writers natish um was like there needs to be a ghetto boys movie and i was like if you only knew how hard it is to get anything made like i was trying yeah. to like i was trying to get like a little boosie documentary but it was about like sec it was about like kind of second cities like how baton rouge worked with new orleans how long beach worked with la like Detroit and Flint and all these different kind of cities in the shadow of each other and kind of the artists that they produced and this would be around court cases and it was like long story short like it was like this very complicated idea right but like it would have been powerful I think and like I, I had a bunch of meetings at MTV and like all these executives at MTV were rad and they were like we totally get it we think the story is incredible because it was like you know Donnie's story it was like a real piece of like investigative shoe leather journalism that you very rarely see anymore forget it in music especially but you really don't see it that much anymore outside of like maybe the new yorker and the new york times you know no one else has the resources and you get up to the final boss man and it's like some like tall it's some like white guy and you're like oh you're tall and kind of handsome so you probably are stupid you got this job <laughs> like someone thought you were good looking and I was right he showed me that job. <laughs> and then like I looked him up and like he like I was like, oh my God, like I have to give this like really con story about like, you know, institutional like, racism and the criminal justice system and all these like fucked up things that, like as they work in Louisiana and Boosie and Sea Murder and like this really convoluted thing that, and it, you're like, oh, I'm pitching the guy that gave Tyga a show. I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, you gave Tyga King in and I like Tyga. I will defend Tyga, but I don't think King in is necessarily a better show than what we we're going to do. So it, you know, that, and, and that's the problem is the further you get, the more corporate it gets, just the more likely people are to take a chance on, on anything really wild and creative and, and novel. Yeah. And I think that's the only way culture can go forward. Yeah. Yeah. And you've uh, kind of on the, the tip of muckraking journalism, uh, you use the pen to kind of publicize and defend the case of Draco the Ruler. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit and like what moved you to get involved um, in his case and kind of ultimately where that went yeah I mean kind of honestly the same thing as like the Boosie case where it's like I'm not one of these people that um I, I'm not one of those people that goes looking for a cause you know what I mean like I mean I, I believe things really strongly but I wasn't like oh I you know it was like really one of those things where it was like with Boosie it was like okay no one's going to cover this trial so I'm going to go out there and cover it. And then you start being you're like, oh my God, this is way crazier than I ever anticipated. With Draco, it was a very similar thing where like, I, I just loved his music. And then I met him in 2017 when I had an LA Weekly column before they got bought by Nazis. And like, I went to visit him in jail via producer, like his producer, uh, Fizzle was like, do you want to go visit him in jail? Or do you want to go meet Draco? I go, yeah, sure. Where, where is he? He's like, they're like county. I'm like, all right, fuck it. 
I'll go to county, whatever, you know, like, what's up? And I, like, I'm talking to Draco and, you know, it's, he's in the prison jumpsuit and, and, and we're talking through the thick glass. I mean, it's like, and I'm just like, Hey, I'm Jeff. Why? You know, he was yeah. super cool. And then he got out. I did a big story on him for the LA times. And then, um, then he, he got arrested right before the story came out. And then we couldn't even figure out what the hell was going on. Like I got a call from, you know, someone who worked with him and they're like, he's like talking about these crazy things. They're like, Draco got arrested and they took him out of the station and like they're rapping his lyrics at him. And like, and then like all the other members of the Sting team got arrested and we're like, what the fuck? And it was literally like, I have no idea what's going on. And like, at this point, like, I didn't know Draco that well. I'm like, are they like, is this one of those things where I'm like, they're over-exaggerating what is happening? You know, like I, I didn't know. And basically then I had to, yeah, I was like, fuck it, I'll just do it at POW. Cause like, it felt weird to kind of like be like, well, actually, I will say I, I tried to pitch it actually first to a, a, a very prominent publication um, where they told me that, uh, and this is one of the fucked up things about journalism. They told me that Draco was a bad person, and uh, so like they weren't interested in covering it. Or a like, word came from above. It's always that it is right. the word right. came from above. It's never like <laughs> your editor is generally cool, and his editor is probably cool, but the editor above them is like, you know, the corporate face that they've got in. You know, designed the mm-hmm. team. You know, and. Um, and then Draco just started calling me all the time. And I was like, okay, well, like this is, you know, I realized pretty quickly that, you know, a lot of his friends, a lot of his, you know, so-called friends kind of abandoned him and there was no one there. And, you know, he had, I, I called, so I interviewed his lawyer trying to figure out what the fuck. I'm like, surely the lawyer must know. Cause Draco at this point was like, you know, in, in County and just like, you know what I mean? Like it was not like a situation where he, it wasn't like a law library where Draco could very solemnly right. ponder his papers, you know, and figure right. out what was going on. Cause they kept him in the dark. And basically the lawyer was 90 years old. Um, no joke. He was actually 90. And I was like, Oh, uh, this is bad. He has an AOL.com address like this. <laughs> and, then, and then like the lawyer barely knew what was up. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, and then I kept on talking to Draco because he kept calling me and I was like, wow, okay, this is a crazy story. And I kept on just going to court. And again, nobody was paying me to do any of these things. Like, I mean, mm. nobody. I just was like, I like, I, I was like, this is a c- clear miscarriage of justice. Like this guy, and like, you know, at the time, like, to be honest with you, I mean, I assumed he was innocent. I didn't really know how, like, you know, what the deal was exactly. Like, um, and then like how strong of a case they had. You know, it turned out they had an incredibly weak case and he 100%, there, they, I mean, he should never have been brought on trial. But yeah, mm-hmm. we ended up having to get him like a different attorney um and uh just because it was he was gonna get i mean it was gonna be bad like he had a he had a 90 year old attorney that I, I don't know how that even happened but this guy was clearly not the person to do a really intricate case and for those who don't know basically i should probably explain because they're like what the fuck is this guy talking about basically Draco the ruler a prominent south central rapper was uh charged of murder and he had his lyrics used against him and it was like this whole criminal gang his rap his rap group was charged as a gang and it was like this really fucked up evidence of how uh, corrupt and crooked the LA County uh, district attorney's office was. And uh, yeah, from there, I mean, it just kind of, I I guess it was, we got really kind of lucky. It was a perfect storm of circumstances where um, Draco was making amazing music from jail, which is incredible, which got him Mm. a ton of attention. I was able to yell really loud. Um, Jackie Lacey, you know, the, the, uh, the protests last year kind of, I think raised awareness to how corrupt, the LA County criminal justice system was, especially with Jackie Lacey and the way she was running the DA and um, she got voted out of office. Um, 
And, uh, you know, COVID was also, it was a kind of a miracle that COVID happened, to be honest with you, because, um, I mean, obviously not every other way, but in this particular instance, he was about to start his second trial. And they had gotten the, they, they like after Draco, so Draco won his first trial and there was one hung, there was, there were two hung counts. One was this like insanely convoluted criminal gang conspiracy law that would take like a million years to explain. The other one was shooting from a motor vehicle because he was driving the car. He was a parked car that someone shot in the back of his car. And if you're in the car with anyone, they can basically charge you the same as the shooter. It's like mm. a really kind of fucked up, like, you know, it's it basically because they, because of drive-bys in Southern California, like, you know, criminalizing that, like, and, you know, so basically when COVID happened, Draco's second trial was, a uh, they declared a mistrial and he got the extra six months. And by the time his second trial was about to start, or I guess it would have been his third trial, Jackie Lacey had been voted out of office and the DA's office was like, oh, there's about to be George Gascon coming in. This is going to look bad for us if we're about to prosecute this insanely high profile case that's very weak to begin with. They offered him a deal uh, and Draco went home free like that day. It was, it was I mean, it, it was, I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like, uh, it honestly felt like a miracle. So, mm. um, you know, sorry to talk so much, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, that's dope. Rainbow, you know, so. Um, thank you for that explanation, man. You know, um, you mentioned the process a little bit, you know, dealing with editors and stuff like that. And I kind of just always wanted to know sort of what your writing process is like. Let's say you get an, a, um, a ghost face assignment that's due in a couple of days. Are you, are you tapping away at a 1940s typewriter? Are you smoking blunts? Like, mm -hmm. you know, sort, sort, sort of what, what's Jeff, how does Jeff Weiss attack an assignment? Screaming into the void. Um, <laughs> you ever seen the Edward Munch painting, the scream? It's like, like this. Like, yeah, like just with that. Yeah, it's basically like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it takes, I, I do like insane amounts of research. And like, that's probably why all my pieces are really late. Cause I'll like, I'll go into like an insane fugue state where I'll be like, I must find every single thing ever written. Like right now I'm doing a piece on Sublime, right? Um, on the, cause it's 25th anniversary of, you know, the Sublime self-titled album. Which we're on the Dad Rap podcast. I'm sure you guys heard Sublime back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know about of course, that. Of course. Yeah. Simone loves him. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we know about him because of KRS One. <laughs> he, 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 he really loves KRS. Nice. Like I kept on asking like questions of the people around him. Was like, what rappers did he like? And he honestly like he was like very into Just Ice and like you know he was like a pretty deep rap head actually. Mm. Like um like they were obsessed with NWA obviously because like that was right there. But yeah, no, they were really big rap heads. But yeah, so like for instance like. I will then, like I have 70 pages of, of notes of just stuff that I did for research. And then I have another 70 pages of interviews that I did. Um, and then I will assemble them kind of step by step. And then like mm -hmm. just have a terrible laptop that I need a new one and just, you know, take breaks, usually smoke spliffs throughout the course of the night. But um, it's hard, you know, cause I'm running the label and right. dealing with the website and, and dealing with the land and all these things. It's like, it's really hard to kind of find time to write. So I try to write at night as much as I can. And, you know, it's a, I don't know, it's an odyssey. I'm about to start writing my book, hopefully in the next like couple of weeks. So that like, that'll be really okay. exciting to be able to like work on something like full time. And well, I don't know about full time, but getting to like work on one project. Cause I don't know how, yeah, yeah. how you are, but I find like every time you start a new piece, like the hardest part is the beginning. You have to figure out how to crack it. You have to figure out the language that you want to use for it. You always, know? always. Yeah, yeah. And then once it gets going, it gets a lot easier, but yeah, the hardest part is starting for sure. Totally. All right. Well, you, you've mentioned your uh, process that's deliberate and drawn out. I'm going to ask you a very reductive question because we've been asking it to other guests from other cities. Um, what is your L.A. rap Mount Rushmore? 
The four. The four rappers. You, you can't get away from listicles. This is a podcast. Uh, four LA rappers on Mount Rushmore for you. All right. You got to go Snoop. You got to go Snoop. Um, you know, like, I know you're supposed to have Cube and Cube is amazing and like Cube probably belongs. But like, I also like, I don't know. Like, I also was a little too young for like the nwa and america's like i like that stuff but I, like i would probably say quick because mm-hmm. i actually think quick is like just he's so he actually is so good as a rapper and if you really do his like body of work um i mean then that's hard because you want to include a freestyle fellowship guy and then you're like but like they're yeah yeah it's like who you even pick there um I would say, I mean, I probably have to say Kendrick because, like, at the end of the day, like, Kendrick is Kendrick. And I I would go with Draco, actually, because I think Draco um, has, like, completely revolutionized the style for the 20. Whereas I think Kendrick is, like, if if I'm going to pick, look, I love YG, I love Greedo. Uh, Tyler is pretty amazing. I mean, Earl's pretty great. I mean, there's a bunch of rappers from this era, from this last period but Kendrick to me is kind of like Snoop to me is like like a mutant right he's almost like Mike right. and Hine or something or right. Long, where you're like I don't know where the fuck you got yourself from like it's you know Draco is like that too where you're like you actually have no antecedents I want to say Sugar Free but like Sugar Free ultimately if you're going to really go body of work like Quick is probably the one who has that body of work sure. and Quick honestly is a fucking incredible rapper no one gives Quick credit enough for like being an actual rapper and, like, if we're going to just talk, like, you know how in the way that, like, I mean, we talk about, like, Kanye, people would put Kanye in the Mount Rushmore, but I'm like, Quick is, first of all, Quick's body of work to me is just as good as Kanye's, if not way better. I mean, I prefer it. But Quick is a better rapper than Kanye, hands down, and probably also wrote his stuff. Maybe he doesn't have songs, like, he maybe doesn't have, like, a blame game or something or a college dropout thematic concept thing, but I don't know, Quick just, I mean, like, I don't know if anyone has better songs than Quig. I mean, YG is also credible, but you know, YG could definitely be on there. And, and Kendrick, I mean, what like as much as I would like like to be contrarian, <laughs> like Kendrick, because I'm so smart that like I thought or like he is that good and he yeah. deserves it, like uh, for sure. So. Yes, thank you for thank, continuing for the tradition of putting ten people on the four person list. <laughs> <laughs> it's, real, it's tough to talk about. Uh, yeah, we and yeah. we we did this with uh, I think uh, Esoteric, who's from Boston, and he's like, "What's the San Jose Mount Rushmore?" And we're like, "There isn't uh, one." Uh, <laughs> so tougher for us, and you, got, uh, yeah. you, you know, from an area mine, where there's a, a strong list of contenders. Yeah, a friend of mine was like. Uh, you know, he said about Mount Rushmore. I'm like, I can't even do an all-time Mount Rushmore that makes no sense. Totally. <laughs> I was like, and then like I had like I like sent him like this is my Mount Rushmore per decade, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I can do a per decade Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I cannot do an all-time. No, it's like basically impossible. Too you many. You can't compare. It's like comparing athletes. You're like, how do you compare Michael Jordan to LeBron? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like. Doesn't stop it's people from trying. <laughs> I think that's why Twitter was invented. Uh, all right. Um, one, uh, one of your many accomplishments is you are a founder, I believe, or co-founder of The Land, which is an independent magazine that put out two really um, incredible issues that are well-designed, well-written, um, seep into 
the kind of daily lived life of Los Angeles from a literary journalistic perspective. It's an incredible magazine. I, I we hear you're uh, you're doing it again. Uh, what's going on with the land these um, days? Yeah, well, yeah, we have, we have two in a zine, so we're doing this is our. I consider it our fourth, but I think it's officially our third. Um, yeah, we're about to launch a. Uh, it probably will be launched by the time this comes out. A, a Kickstarter um, to raise money for this next issue because. Uh, again, as you might have surmised, independent media is not the, uh, you know, it's not like Scrooge McDuck where I'm just throwing gold coins up. Like no? my yeah, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. I'm going to go swim in my money bin after this. <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, I don't need a pool in the sea. I'll just swim in my money bin. Um, but yeah, no, we, we're trying to, we, we actually are working right now on a third issue that we, uh, the plan is to have out in October. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. There's a bunch of amazing uh, articles and it, and it sort of, I mean, the dream was like basically when, like, you know, for those that don't know, the LA, I used to work for the LA Weekly for many years. I was a columnist there. Um, it was a really poorly run uh, from the corporate side uh, publication, but like, it still kind of, kind of had, was low to the ground. We, there were a lot of talented people that believed in the spirit of, of, of you know, alternative journalism and, and made it a great publication. It got bought by a bunch of right-wing lunatics from Orange County that basically proceeded to torch the paper and left it a, for, a, a they fired everyone and left a complete shell of itself. And then I started this like boycott against them. Just, you know, and like, it's funny too, cause it's like, all they had to do was do good journalism and they could have just shut me up. Like you can't launch a boycott against people that are like doing good work. Like you look, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but they were just so, bad at what they were doing and had so little regard for the city they weren't there from orange county they had no regard for really the city of the culture of los angeles and um it was just clearly a money-making grift scheme and uh so then like after a while people were just like why don't you start your own publication and i was like go book yourself <laughs> and, then, and then i was like that's the hardest thing ever and it's a really bad idea and then um it was a really bad idea and a really hard thing but um luckily i had some really talented um and uh, passionate uh, kind of co-editors and, and creative directors you know my uh my co-editors uh jen swan she's a really brilliant editor uh evan solano is the creative director um and uh there were a bunch of other people that we started it with but now it's just kind of the three of us is kind of the editorial core but yeah we we we're trying to kind of I, I would love to keep the land alive and it's sort of one of those things where i hate to ask for money but um unfortunately you know there are I'm not like a con artist, so I'm not about to shame someone. <laughs> um, I, I, although I do say when people say I'm not a con artist, I think they're a con artist. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first thing con artists say. <laughs> like, I'm not, not, not a con artist. <laughs> um, no, I wish I was a con artist because I would not have to have a Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> but I don't really, like, it's hard to do it. And, you know, we're writing and editing a publication and then I have, have had to sell a lot of the ads too in the past and it's just like a nightmare and it's just one of those things that um i don't know you get i i, I do think la like i mean I, I think la times does a pretty good job i i write a lot for la magazine uh like you know i have a lot of love for them too and la talk does an amazing job but there are just unfortunately are just so many stories in any major metropolitan area that you know there used to be like four daily newspapers like back in the day or three at least two or three it, as late as the 90s, you know, or the eight, 80s, there were several, you know, and there, and there were several all weeklies, you know, when I was, when I first started, like, I mean, like, I want in the 80s, or like, in the 90s, in the 90s, or in the, in the 2000s, even when I started in journalism, there were, like, there were, um, there was the LA City Beat, there was the LA Alternative, there was, like, an LA Alternative Press that was, like, based in several, like, and there was an LA Weekly, and then there was the LA Times, and 
you know, obviously LA Magazine was like more robust at the time. I mean, and the LA Times, like you could kill a bird with it. There were just it was like <laughs> weekly and daily, just, just, and now it's like, there's, there's like Instagram pages. You right. know what I mean? It's like a bunch of people being like, what do y'all think about this? And I'm like, I'm happy they're doing it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm happy there's anything, but you really like, I mean, you know, it's, just shit costs money, you know, like to do yeah. really quality journalism. Like it, it just, it, it, cause it's time. It's like, you know, it's like, and I don't know, like even like the Draco thing. I mean, that was just countless hours and it's just at a certain point, like I can't, it's one thing for me to like just do countless hours and like, but I can't really ask people, you know, sure. we're, we're adamant about paying people, you know, cause you know, not maybe what they deserve, but like not some bullshit, like, you know, when I pay a POW or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> try. <laughs> like, I just want to pay more money to people. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should. So, just... so you're doing a Kickstarter to okay. support the publication of the of the next one? Yeah, we're trying to get 50 grand. We'll see. Okay. If not, I'm just going to rob banks or deal drugs that I own. Okay. So, it's been effective. It looks like I deal drugs. I mean, like, that's how I'll know that I'm truly washed when I go out in public and people are not going to ask me where they can get drugs. <laughs> like every time, like, I used to be like, oh, why would this person? Now I'm like, oh, I still, I, I still have still it. got it. That guy looks like he knows where he can get some illicit drugs. I was like, all right, cool. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, hopefully keep the juice. Um, we're, we're so happy that you could come on and, and chop it up with this man, a yeah, fan of your work. Not. I was happy and, uh, very happy. Congrats on all your success that you guys have been having. You guys have been really uh to, to use the parlance of our times glowing up. <laughs> I've heard it quite put that way, though I, my forehead yeah. is extremely I'm about shiny, to say Nate, Nate has been glowing on his forehead for some time. So <laughs> that's the moisturizer. <laughs> um I, just briefly before we let you go, Jeff, I, I don't think many people I know for a fact many people did not listen to us who listen to us now when you were first on and when you were talking about Jack Harlow earlier, it really reminded you of me of something you said when you were on last time, which is that you did not hate Russ. And I think about that all the time. Like you were an early champion of Russ's music. You flew him out for a show. He came with his mom. He was he was right. he was a polite person. And it, like I have like our local person who is you know I can at least stand Russ and like thought one of his records was kind of good. And so I've I've always thought about that little moment. And it was we yeah. were sitting in a classroom at Damone's work talking to you on the phone where we could barely hear so things have changed a little since then yeah. but i just wanted you to know i remember that and i yeah. appreciate you rocking I, with I, us from the beginning i was going to say that i probably could have put out a rust record if i really wanted to yeah probably i mean that's a lot of money i don't know white rapper is kind of a dicey proposition you know yeah. it's a tough tough like, pun uh, all the way around you know, uh, i could not have said the same about little dicky because i knew he was terrible from the get-go yeah. Okay. Okay. Oof, thank God. He's the worst American artist. Totally. <laughs> thank you. He deserves the Malone treatment, but I just don't want to like. Bro, bro, the pin, yeah. man. Look, please. Look, please. Looking forward to that. Looking forward no, to that. No, because then people are just going to be like, oh, like, you know, I, it just, you know, people just like, oh, is that all you do? And I'm like, yeah, that's. that's <laughs> 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 it's just like, people get so mad. I'm like, dude, I don't want some like weird, like, little dicky stand being like, I don't like, you. like with like I don't know Have little you... dicky stands that's the the worst Man. country I've ever little heard of <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, if my, that's the worst thing if you had a child that was like a little dicky fan you know, <laughs> I 
feel like I feel like all right, you're smoking crack, but I'm gonna keep you in house. But if you're a little diggy fan, I'm sending you to the military. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna clip this for all the people who want us to watch his TV show. I'm just like under no circumstances will I be watching this TV. I watched show. it, by the way. Oh wow! Yeah. wow. I watched um, it. No, because because I, I was working with someone who I who I like and admire, um, and that he was like gotta watch it man he's like gotta get to the end and then like he's like get to the end and tell me you still don't like it and it kept on getting worse (laughs) for me to watch it because i would it would have to be like it's three o'clock in the morning and i'm like plagued by insomnia and then i'm like okay i i guess i have to watch this terrible show because i'll go to sleep because i can't make it through a whole episode of this show um and uh yeah it, it gets it's also really racist by the way like it gets yeah. like actually more racist as the show goes on okay. to the end where like you're like oh no little dickie's in jail and he's rapping from jail oh no <laughs> oh, alert, guys. Terrible. And, uh, and like at the time like i was like dealing i was like getting calls from draco from solitary and i was like i would murder this person i'm <laughs> 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 like, literally talking to somebody in jail knowing not knowing but hearing about how awful it is and like the way how fucked up the criminal justice system is and you're like making light of it by like rapping in jail just the whole thing yeah i would tell you to watch it but honestly like i don't know i know right around the show i probably shouldn't be saying this is a nice guy (laughs) 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 i was like like favorite to tweet of mine i was like oh shit right right Dude, By the way, nice FX person. executives, that doesn't mean I wouldn't write for it. Totally. I, totally. I, I honestly would rather drink arsenic. <laughs> I would rather not do write for the little... Like, I, I, like, that's the only thing. Like, If you gave Russ a show, I'd be like, alright, Russ, let's, I'll have a meeting with you. Right, right. <laughs> Russ actually is talented. He just, you know, can be guilty of things that Russ can be guilty of. Um, but um, Logic, nice guy. Yeah. Is he actually a really nice guy? Yeah. Little Dicky, um, yeah. A little no. Dicky needs to be fired to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> well, there it is. Yeah, just uh, Jews, so you know. So, uh, <laughs> he's on my list of like I like bad for the Jews, little Dicky. <laughs> Benjamin Netanyahu, little Dicky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So uh, that's the the Mount the, Mount, the other Mount Rushmore. No, other Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I was going for it. Yeah. There's a lot of bad for the yeah. And then when I read my book, bad for the Jews. <laughs> a long list. Oh man, um, Jeff, Jeff, thanks for coming on the program, man. We we appreciate your work, and you know, best of luck in the future. Kickstarter coming soon for the land, y'all. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Dead Pod, Rap Pod. That was our interview with Jeff Weiss. Next up, we've got a conversation with rapper Kip Stone. Kip is an MC out of Cleveland, um, not somewhere we've typically covered, um, but Kip is a really good MC. Um, He's nice with the pen. He's got a real laid-back delivery. He's a cool guy. 
and we wanted to talk to him because we feel like he's someone who's on their way up in our kind of scene of lyrical underground hip-hop um is a real chill dude and his babe uh ep fago baby is out now and features a couple of interesting guest spots and just a, a nice production palette just a, a real solid piece of work so without further ado please out our check out our interview from a couple of months ago with mc kip stone Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we bring you interviews with artists who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. Today is no different. Joining us in Zoom, we have East Cleveland rapper Kip Stone. How's it going, man? Going good, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on the program. Uh, we'll just start from the beginning. You're you're from East Cleveland. I'm assuming that that Bone Thugs was a was an influence on you, but I also read that you really cut your teeth uh, rapper wise on the work of, of Eminem. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that influence and kind of what what got you rapping initially? This uh, Eminem was just fire, man, and like uh, you know, it's the whole aspect of like sneaking to listen to some shit that you're not supposed to be listening to, mm. bro, and you know. Obviously, like watching Eight Mile and stuff like that, and just seeing all that, like it was crazy. I told I told this story time and time again. The first time I watched Eight Mile, I was with my mom, sat at the foot of the bed, wrote my first uh, song, and recorded that shit into a digital camera. And yeah, <laughs> that's dope. Man. And it's it's been on from there. Uh, did you initially want to be kind of that? battle type MC because I your obviously your music has kind of definitely evolved into something that's not Eminem but was that your original kind of um you know the mold that you were thinking in and in, in terms of be, like being a battle rapper punchline guy like how did that start for you so I mean the first like <laughs> my first couple songs that I felt like when I first started rapping was just me dissing everybody that was in my age bracket at the time <laughs> So I, for no for no reason at all, like just because I thought that's what you did, like I just thought you just had to diss people. So I was just dissing everybody, and then it just kind of like with the whole like they had this like stuff that was going on in Cleveland. It was called cap rapping and wrecking and stuff like that, where it was just like a whole bunch of outlandish punchlines and stuff like that, and like clever wordplay. So it kind of just turned into that, and then like I got tired of just making punchlines just for the sake of making punchlines. And then it just kind of turned into like using those like the ability to make a really good punchline into like actually making it something that's worth hearing type mm. idea. Mm. Um, Kip, yeah, you for know, the most part, I was just dissing on everybody when I first. Started. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good approach, man. That's a good approach. Um, you know, Kip, since we're kind of starting at your origin story, um, you know, just uh, and you also recently had that new uh, track with Chuck. Ch Chuck Strangers, but, you know, I kind of wanted to know, like, for cats who've never heard of you, 
Can you recommend two songs of yours that would be a good representation for new listeners? Uh, actually, everything off on um, the song, everything, not the. Not the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, actually, Fago Baby, not even just because it's out. That's just one of my favorite one, like joints off the EP. Okay, okay, um, that's the one. And with it's, Chuck it's, Strangers, it's, right? it's, yeah, and it's it's uh two more on the EP that are on the EP that will probably move up on my list, but I can't talk about them because they're not <laughs> Right on. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about Cleveland, where you're from, and, like, do you have, like, a peer group or a crew or, like, a hip-hop scene that, like, defines you? If you could tell us, we're from San Jose, we're from the West Coast, like, we're not super familiar with that area. If you could just, like, kind of educate us on, like, what, what the hip-hop scene is like in Cleveland and where you're from. Okay. So... You got the people who I grew up listening to and from Cleveland. That was like Al Fats, uh, King King Chip. He went by Chip the Ripper at the time, obviously. Um, Bone Thugs, Cuddy. And then you got the people who who I rock with. You know what I'm saying? Like my circle is like, my God, Ja Rashad, Trav Hen, uh, Gates, uh, Nuke Franklin, of course. He, uh, you know, you, you, if you see me, you're going to see Nuke. Or if you see him, you're going to see me like we like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Sean K, Tory Lott. Just, yeah, those are the people who I'm like really uh, wheelchair. He's dope too. Those are like the the scene. If I like the people who I'm rooting for the most, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, them the guys. So do you feel like... Um there's like i know it's the pandemic and there's not a lot of venues or there's not a lot of outlets right now but like do you feel like um cleveland like is on the come up or like uh, like there's a, an emerging scene like i don't know i don't really know exactly how to ask what i'm asking i guess let me let me phrase it like this like minneapolis has always had like a surprisingly strong underground or hip hop movement like do you feel like something like that is afoot in cleveland and it's okay yeah. if you don't. <laughs> I, I I do, but like everybody, like everybody right now who I could mention, like and like literally everybody on other than people who I grew up listening to, everybody I named after that is like right now working on something to not get started, but you know what I'm saying? Like like they everybody, so like everybody's kind of like in hiding right now. Right. <laughs> So, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just, uh, right now, I'm, I'm just the only one that's like in, your, like in your face. But all of these, all of those people that I mentioned, like have stuff that they're working on that they're going to come with. And if, if it pans out the way we want it to, then yes, it's like a whole renaissance, like a Level whole up. Like, Cleveland, yeah, like even got something to say type movement. Right on. That's awesome. We got, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of ground covered in that circle. You know what I'm saying? We got like pop mm. artists rock like one of the guys makes like heavy metal rock trap like kind of hybrid another one is like trying to bring back trip hop and stuff like that okay. and okay you know what i'm saying got the backpack boom bap rap and stuff like that and then you got what i do so yeah okay okay well let's let's uh let's talk a little bit about your sound um had a chance to check out home uh and reading interviews and, and articles about you there's always a, a comparison 
to Kendrick Lamar. And I just, I want to, I wanted to address that with you and like, how do you feel about that? And why do you think folks uh, make that comparison so often? I'm never upset about a comparison. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you know, I like I, anybody that's coming up that's like a lyricist or like, because I'm not like when I make music, it's not like just super like bar you up. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like a lot of, I think what people, the comparison to me and Kendrick is probably like the care for like the, how the song sound like the care about the music. You know what I'm saying? And I, you know, I got a long way to go before I'm like, before I deserve to be compared to Kendrick. But like, that's, you know, those are people I study. Like I study TDE, I study J. Cole and people like that. Like, and just how to like, just they, the way they make music and the way they present it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I genuinely, I care about making albums, like structuring like albums from front to back, like stuff that's gonna stick to your ribs. And those are the people who, you know what I'm saying? Who I base my whole formula off of. Um, Kip, I, I wanted to know, um, I read a, a semi-recent interview with you and you in it, you mentioned that you were working at a nursery home slash a rehab center. Um, mm -hmm. are, are you still there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. You know, I, you know, for, for artists that we like and just people who are generally so creative, um, I'm always wondering how their day jobs affect their creativity. Do you carry any of your thoughts and stuff from the day job into your music? Yeah, but I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of tiring because you know what I'm saying? You got something that you think about all day long. You just think about music all day long and then you at work. So you can't do nothing about it. It's not like if, if I just get struck by inspiration that I can just run into the studio. You know what I'm saying? Like right. if I have to go to work at eight o'clock and then I just feel like rapping, like, damn, I got to wait till 3.30 <laughs> till I get off. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you kind of, it, it, spill, it spills over, but it's more so just me like kind of being, I don't want to say tired of working, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's a day job. Yeah, like, yeah. Has it been extra sort of challenging because of COVID and the, everything that happened in the last year? Yeah, I caught COVID at the end of the year. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> well, glad you're doing all right. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's been rough. I mean, where I work, we didn't have like too many people that caught it. Thank mm -hmm. God. You know what I'm saying? Like we had like probably like two or three cases. Okay. Which was like most most nursing homes and stuff like that. They got like hundreds of cases and stuff like that. So our yeah. facility, we did pretty good on keeping it out the building. But yeah, I was I, and I was one of the people that was talking shit. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't even know nobody with COVID. I don't I, like, I don't think I'm gonna get it because I don't do this and this and this. And then lo and behold, Oof. yeah, <laughs> that's that's rough, man. Um, like Dave said, just glad you're glad you're on the mend. You seem to be doing well. Um, Talk to us a little bit about uh, working with Static Selecta. Um, that's obviously a big name in this kind of lane. Um, how did you guys connect and like tell us a little bit about the track? I got uh, Alex. Just one day, you know, we were just formulating, you know, plotting on what we was going to do. And then he just out of nowhere, like, yeah, I think we can get a, a Static Selecta beat. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> Like, you know what I'm saying? The way he just kind of casually just threw it in there. Like, yeah, we can get a static selected beat. I'm like, bro. So 
He um I didn't I didn't get a chance to like actually talk to him, but he just sent a pack over and mm. he was just like pick, you know what I'm saying, take whatever you want. And we just unanimously all decided on Manic because that beat was just fire. And yeah, I I I so I because because of the pandemic and stuff like that, you can't even really get up with nobody, you know what I'm saying? Right. To, like actually link up and work on music and stuff like that. So that's just, you know, that's just how that's been going. Shout out to him for sending that too, because you like, you don't have to send that shit to some random dude from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. Um, so you you've you had the album uh home last year. You got a, a new EP out. Uh, the single with Truck Strangers is out right now, uh Fago Baby. What as we look towards the actual end of the pandemic uh coming soon. Do you have big plans for the, the latter half of this year? Are you, you know, thinking about trying to get touring back on? Like, kind of where's your head at as, as we come out of the pandemic and you're releasing new stuff? That is the plan. If anybody is watching this, please, just take me with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, yeah, I, de- I definitely do want to start touring because I've never done it before. I've never toured before. I've done shows and stuff like that, but that would be a dope experience to just get out there and tour and just kind of just I was actually just talking about talking about that with somebody they like how if somebody was to just throw me on a tour at the end of the year how I would that would just be like an adapt like I would uh, an adjustment I would just have to like just get with it or get lost yeah pick up pick up and go who who would you want to go on tour with if you could if you could make your call who who would you want to be a supporting act for I don't know because I'll be listening to like different different people. I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly who I would want to tour with. Whoever will have me, that's who I'll tour with. <laughs> okay, I like that. I like and that. that. You know what I'm saying? And, if, and if, as long as it makes sense, you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, maybe that's my question. Who do you feel like, you know, as we try to tee up for listeners who might not be familiar uh, with your music, who, who do you think you would be a great kind of complimentary fit to? Like, if I'm going to see, you know, Imagine Dragons or something, it is that is that you know what I mean? Like who who would be your your a good pairing for for you to be out on the road with? I'm a I'm a my sound is just super super Midwest, so it'll be it'll mm. have to be like like a Mick Jenkins or a Cyborg, you know what I'm saying? Like mm. somebody with that kind of okay, feel, you know. I could I can totally see that. So man, we um. We touched a little bit about um, Fago Baby, as well as sort of the limitations you have with the day job and uh, just being a creative. Um, tell the people a little bit about what your writing process is like. Are you a pen and pad guy? Are you into the notes in your phone guy? Like, um, let us into sort of, you know, break down your creative process for us. Okay, I got a weird superstition, right? Cause I, I, I make a lot of my beats. Mm-hmm. I'll start out, if I make a beat and I decide, you know, this is fire, I'm working on it, working on it, working on it, boom, inspiration strikes. For some reason, I have to get up, go upstairs, clean my room, change <laughs> clothes, and then come back downstairs to work on it. I don't know what it is, but I Whoa. have to change before I start, like, writing, like, working on music. I change clothes, like, five times a day. I don't <laughs> And it's like, and that's like a really weird thing. It's like what I have on right now, 
if I'm working on something, I'll just like, I have to go upstairs and like take this hoodie off and put like a different t-shirt on or put some different shorts on or something like that. And then I just sit up and just listen to a beat for usually if I'm sitting up and I'm just listening and not writing nothing, chances are the song ain't going to be dope because my best stuff comes when it's just like when it kind of write itself. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I start recording, I just play around with stuff until it just kind of, you know what I'm saying, until it feels right. But it doesn't, it generally doesn't take me very long to make music for real. Okay. We've interviewed close to a hundred rappers on this show. We have never heard the, I have to change clothes superstition. <laughs> I appreciate you for bringing that into the lexicon. I'm going to be thinking about that. Like what, what, what about it is like, will you be a different person by the time you finish writing? Like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be thinking about that for a minute. It's not something you need to answer. I, this is my own personal issue. I wish I could answer it. I truly wish I could answer it. It's so crazy because it's, it's just like, it's second. I don't even think about it. It's like, all right, let me go upstairs and change clothes. All right. I know exactly what I have to do to finish this song. Get a hoodie on. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope, man. Um, I didn't realize you produced. Um, please walk us through kind of your journey with that. Like, um, what kind of equipment do you use? Like, what are your kind of like influences in that realm? Tell us about it. Um. As far as influences, you know, like I said, my sound is super Midwest. So, you know, it's super like mad R&B influence, jazz influence, funk and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Being, you know, Cleveland and stuff like that. Like the whole C-Funk, all that kind of stuff. Um, And I really started making beats out of necessity for real. Like when mm. I first started writing, I couldn't find beats. So I was just like, all right, let me look around and see if I can make some beats. And for... The better part for it, I would say like eight years of my career, I really never made beats that I like. All my beats that I made, I didn't really like them. It was just I didn't have nobody else to make beats. So I was just like, fuck it. This is, you know, like it's the best of best of a bad situation. I didn't until like probably like two or three years ago start really liking my beats. Yeah, we've definitely heard that before. Like um, sometimes you just have to. And then eventually as you as you grow, your practice gets gets more refined and then eventually you end up making stuff that only you could make right because mm-hmm. it wasn't really till i started producing for other people that i started liking my music because then you know what i'm saying when i make it for mm-hmm. myself then i'm super critical of it but if i'm making it for somebody else and they love it then it's just like oh, okay it must be dope that's dope the the do-it-yourself ethos uh very underground we appreciate you coming on the program uh as we close here what can folks look out for from you in 2021. There you go, baby, EP. On the way. There it is. Single is out right now. Uh, Kip Stone, we want to thank you for coming on the program, man. Best of luck in the future. Thanks for having me, y'all.